0: Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Jeff R. Steele. Dr. Steele is the senior pastor of Redeeming Grace Church of Coleman, Alabama. He's a conference speaker, owner of the Christian music group, The Steels, and an award-winning singer and songwriter. Now, here's Dr. Steele. I want to ask you, we're just going to have one verse of text today, and I don't know that it directly speaks to the message, and I don't know that it directly doesn't speak to the message. It's found in the gospel of John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus is speaking and he says this, sanctify them with thy truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. Do you understand this is not just a book? that I'm holding in my hand, this is the truth. It is the inerrant, infallible, inspired truth. It is the word of God. Jesus said it was the truth. Friday morning, I awoke to some distressing news that I wasn't expecting to see or hear. I had a very good friend in high school by the name of Greg. Greg Bybee. I had three big running buddies in high school Dennis Hardy, Jimmy Howington, and Greg Bybee. Greg was a pastor's son. I never once doubted Greg's commitment to Christ or the fact that he knew Christ as his personal savior. I mean, it's all we talked about even back in high school days. Well, on this past Monday, Greg lived and served a church in Dixon, Tennessee. He was their minister of music. And I opened up my Facebook on Friday morning and discovered that Monday night, in true Greg fashion, while he was telling a joke, because he was a funny guy, while he was telling a joke, in the middle of his joke, he had a major stroke. And they took him to the hospital, but the doctor said, it was just like that. And my high school buddy was dead. I mean, four o'clock dead. I'm sure all of you have had somebody in your life that you went to school with and had a deep friendship with that later on in life you just hear about it unexpectedly one day they died i want to tell you something when they die even though it may have been 40 years since you were big time running buddies when they die a little bit of you dies too because you realize man they were just like me same age as i was Liked the same things i liked but Greg was dead and I, I told Sherry, I looked across and I said, you know, I just didn't expect to start my day like this. It's the first thing I saw. I said, I did not expect to open my Facebook and see that my good friend from four decades ago, that we kept up on Facebook and we texted back and forth. But I just didn't expect him to die. That wasn't the word that I was looking to start my Friday with. And I thought it hung with me all day. I couldn't get the thought out of my mind. I I wrote his wife a nice text and kept up with the arrangements, couldn't go. It was yesterday, his funeral was. And it just hung with me. And as it hung with me, I began to think about the afterlife. I began to think about heaven. Sometimes, when folks who are or have been close to us, when they pass away, it gets you to thinking about heaven. And I said, You know what? I'm going to preach about heaven this Sunday morning because somebody, I don't know who, but somebody else has been thinking about the afterlife. Somebody else has been thinking about heaven and asking some questions about heaven. Sometimes we want to know, don't we? When we get to heaven, will we have any emotions? when we get to heaven? Or will we just be like God following zombies all around heaven? Will we just constantly stand and do nothing but worship? Will we have any emotions when we get to heaven? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says about God in heaven. The Bible says of God, not of me and you, but of God, it says that he enjoys. The Bible says that God loves, God laughs, God takes delight, God rejoices, God is sometimes angry, God is sometimes happy, and God is sometimes jealous. Now, can anybody in here argue with the fact that if you are angry or happy or jealous or laughing or enjoying Is there anybody in here that can argue the fact that those are all very strong emotions? The Bible also says that when we get to heaven, we're going to be like God. That's what we're going to become is like God. We are going to be like him. So if we're going to be like God, that means you and I are going to express emotions when we get to heaven. We should expect that in heaven emotions will exist. We are told, in fact, that people in heaven go to banquets, they go to feasts, they sing. Those are all times that would denote some happiness or emotions on our part. Here are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6 and verse 21. Jesus, these letters are in red in your Bible. That means he said them. He said, blessed are you that weep now, for in that day, you will laugh. And that's an emotion. But that's not even the greatest part of Luke chapter 6 and 21. Jesus said right before he said you that weep in that day will laugh, here's what he said. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for in that day you will be filled. Let me just step back and say, whoo, You say, Jeff, you're talking about emotions. Why are you getting so excited about food? Because believe it or not, some of my greatest emotional times are around the supper table or the breakfast table or the lunch table or the snack table. Some of my greatest emotions center around food. Now listen, folks, I want to give you the benefit of some of my great learning today. Watch this. If you have here a man that is hungry. And over here, you have a man that is filled. Something had to take place between the hunger and the filling, and what was that? Joker had to eat. So I guess I'm answering two questions in one here. This really isn't part of the message, but Jesus said it, so I thought it'd be fair to include it. Folks, not only are we gonna have emotions when we get to heaven, we're gonna eat when we get to heaven. I said... We're gonna eat when we get to heaven. That's worth another try. We're gonna eat when we get to heaven. Glory to his everlasting name. I mean, we're gonna eat there. You can't have the marriage supper of the lamb if you don't eat. One of the greatest things that happens at Redeeming Grace Church happens on Wednesday night. Used to do it at six o'clock. Now we moved it back to 530 to give you late comers a chance to come and eat with us and not feel like you're so, so late. At 5.30 on Wednesday night, we meet and we eat, glory to God. If the message is bad, and listen, I'm not stupid, sometimes they're not that good. If the youth fall on deaf ears, their teachers, their message falls on deaf ears, sometimes it happens. If children's church is a big flop, if the nursery has a bunch of unruly kids, don't lose sight of the fact, folks, that before we broke into all those groups, at 5.30, we met together to, no, we met together to what? To what? Well, that's better. I heard a couple of you holler louder than others, but that's all right. And let me tell you, it, it happens. There's something about women in the kitchen I've always heard. Don't let two women get in the kitchen together because the moral of that story is everything bad will break loose if you do that. But Tabitha Smothers and Betty Brooks kind of head up that whole kitchen thing. Tabitha comes early and she's almost like a drill sergeant except she mostly smiles as she prepares all these things. The forks are in the right place. People are here to serve you. They put your food on your plate for you. See how emotional I'm getting about this? They put your food on your plate. If it's pizza, the youth usually do pizza. They get these clear gloves and they reach out and get your pizza and put it on the plate. And everything's where it's supposed to be. You get in line, you go through. Now, what I do, when they moved it to 530, I was a little concerned because when it was at six o'clock, about five minutes till six, I used to say, you know, those of us that are here early ought not to get in the way of those that are coming later, let's pray and go first. And I said, well, what am I gonna do now that it's starting at 5.30? At 5.25, I say, look, those of us that are here early ought to get in line and clear the way for those that are coming later. And what I do, because I'm the pastor, see, I start praying on my way to the table. Lord, I pray you bless this food tonight to the nurse. And I just crack my eyes just a little bit so I can see where I'm going. Cause if I fall, dinner's off. I can tell you that right now. There's an emergency. There's a helicopter coming to take me somewhere if I fall. But those ladies, and listen, Tabitha's like a drill sergeant get it together, but Betty cooks dessert every week. She got a lemon cake that's so moist, you're tempted to have to suck it with a straw. She does brownies some weeks. See how emotional he's getting me talking about this food? He's got to go eat, bless God. Talk about food, make a baby want to go eat. We're going to eat in heaven. Jesus said so. Those that are hungry are going to be filled. Listen, we we get it all. On Wednesday nights, I want to encourage you to come. We have great crowds on Wednesday night, but they could be better. So come on, eat with us. And we break into a time of Bible study and youth and children's church and all of that. It's great. All this under the heading of will we be emotional in heaven? Will we have any emotions? I think the Bible's clear. Yes, we can expect for emotions to exist in heaven. Well, Brother Jeff, will we cry in heaven? That's an emotion. Well, Revelation 21 says God shall wipe All tears from our eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or pain or crying. But wait a minute. When the Bible talks about that in Revelation 21, that's talking about the tears of suffering over sin and death. It's talking about the tears of oppressed people. Talking about the poor. Talking about the widows. Talking about the orphaned and the persecuted Such crying from eyes that are going through something like that will never be again. But ladies and gentlemen, those of you that had a daddy that you used to think was the strongest man on earth, the strongest person that ever lived, and you watched through life as the arms that once raised in victory were now lowered, not to defeat, but just to poor health. Dad that used to run and jump can now only sit in the recliner and breathe with the help of oxygen. I'm telling you, when you see that daddy in heaven, fully restored with a glorified body, that's the best it's ever been. It will not surprise me if some of us don't begin to weep, not tears of sadness, but tears of joy. And I don't believe God will wipe those away because they're symbolic of something good in heaven is all good. Some mamas and daddies who will be weeping with joy over children that were laid to rest way too young. Some people who are weeping over parents who they watched grow weak. My brother said on her final night on this earth, before we could even get there, that my mother, who was in the very, very last stages of liver disease, her body would just, without even having any knowledge on her part, would just flip and flop all around the bed, the pain was so great. I'm going to tell you something, there's going to come a day When those of us that know Jesus as our Lord and Savior are going to see those parents who suffered that much. And the one thing we said when they finally passed was, okay, the suffering is over. Honey, the suffering is over. They are in heaven. God has given them a glorified body. It is in its perfect state. And they're like we remember them at their very best. It won't surprise me if we don't have some tears of joy when we get to heaven. So will we have emotion in heaven? My guess would be that right now, my friend Greg, who loved to laugh, had a big old stomach and when he laughed, you knew it. Wouldn't surprise me if he's laughing right now. So will there be emotions in heaven? I think the scripture says yes. Let me ask you this. Will we miss our lives here when we get to heaven? Will we miss our lives here? Our old house? Our old car, well, if it's a Rambler, you won't miss it. But if we had a good car, think about that. Will we miss our lives here? I tell you that it only happened to me one time. Part of that's good, part of it's bad. I used to fly a lot more than I do now. Used to love it, now I hate it. I used to fly on Delta Airlines because I could rack up all those points and after a while get a free flight to somewhere I wanted to go instead of somewhere I had to go. I don't fly on Delta anymore because I read a story the other day said they wouldn't let people sing the national anthem on their planes when they had a, a soldier that had uh, died in battle that was coming. On. I don't know if it's true or not; could be fake news. I hear a lot of, about that going on nowadays. But just the fact that they'd even think about not letting somebody sing the national anthem is enough to say I'm not going back on Delta. That doesn't have anything to do with the message either. I sat down in my middle seat on that flight. That means there's somebody to my left and somebody to my right. The guy to my right, and why is this? Why is it that people that have the horriblest breath feel like it's their duty to get as close to your face when they talk to you as they possibly can? I mean, just this guy's breath was so bad, I. I mean, I could barely stay alive and talk to him. I'm trying to be a nice guy, but his breath stunk bad. And he was a salesman on top of that. So he's not only got bad breath, he's trying to sell me something I don't want in a seat. I don't want to talk to anybody. Oh, it stunk. It smelled like a combination of garlic, rotten bananas, and listen, you don't think rotten bananas have any smell? You just leave a pile of them in your kitchen. Go away for three weeks and come home and see if you don't want to move. Rotten bananas, flies won't even light on them. So it's garlic, rotten bananas, and I mulled over how to do this, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and spit it out. Garlic, rotten bananas, And somebody's rear end. That's what his breath smelled like. One time he said the letter T and some spit came out of his mouth and landed right here on my lip. Well, I wasn't going to close my mouth after that. So here rests a drop of that guy's spit on my lip. And I try to be a nice guy, so I didn't grab a napkin and wipe it off. Then he didn't know that I spit, he spit on my mouth. I'd smelled about as much of that guy's breath as I could stand, and I was never so happy to hear over the speakers on the plane. Jeff Steele, would you please report back to the loading desk at the gate? Ooh, eyes up. I don't ever carry any luggage on the plane, so I could just leave. I got up and walked down the aisle, walked back to the desk there at the gate, and I showed them my identification. They said, Mr. Steele said, we have had five people in a group of business folks who called ahead, changed their plans, canceled their flight. Said, we've already filled three of them. We only have two left. But sir, we notice on here, we are a pretty frequent flyer with Delta Airlines, and we would like to bump you up to first class. i never flown first class in my life. If you can get an economy seat on Delta for 300, it's usually 1200 to fly first class. I've never flown first class in my life, but with the scent of that guy's breath fresh in my mind. And listen, I was scared too. I was convinced he was a terrorist it was gonna hijack that plane. What weapon would he use? <sighs> When he did that, that pilot was going to go wherever he wanted him to go. So I'm scared to death. He's a terrorist with bad breath for a weapon. And I said, don't, don't let me say yes. Just let me say yeah, yeah, give me what." So I had to sign a couple of documents, and I went to the front of the plane. They'd already pulled the curtain shut to that low-class area in the back where I always flew. I don't know how many of you would admit to it, to have ever fly in first class, but listen, that's a whole different world up there. The seats are humongous. I mean, you got plenty of room for whatever you're carrying around. They go back all the way like a bed, and you're so far away from the person behind you that you can lay down. Listen, they got an area in front of you and stretch your legs out like you're going to sleep. I mean, just have a ball. Have a big time. So you know what I did, I sat down. I remember the row, I've only been up there one time. I was in row three. They didn't have it didn't happen about six or seven rows. I was in row three. I was on the aisle seat. I propped my legs out in front of me. I took my shoes off. And it still wasn't as bad as his breath. I took my shoes off, laid my head back on that thing, cocked myself back a little bit, and I enjoyed. My flight. I was going to Orlando that day. I enjoyed my flight, but you know what? Let me tell you what I didn't do. Never one time did I get back on that plane, stick my head through that curtain, and say, "Wonder what old smelly breast doing back there." Never even thought about it. I didn't get up during the flight and say, "I got to check on old stinky mouth back there and see how he's doing." I never was tempted to look back at where I had been because where I was was so much better than where I'd come from. I had no temptation whatsoever to look back. I sat right there or laid right there through the entirety of the flight. And when it was over, when you're sitting in row three, you get out pretty quick from first class. When we get to heaven, ladies and gentlemen, God has prepared a place that is so far superior or whatever you have down here. No, you're never going to think about what was here because you're going to get bumped up to first class. And when I say first class, cock back in your seat, kick your shoes off and enjoy yourself. But you are never going to miss this life here because what God has brought you to and what God has given to you for the afterlife is so much better than what was here. No, you will never miss what was here. And probably the most asked question that I or any other minister ever gets about the afterlife is, will we know one another when we get to heaven? Will we know one another when we get to heaven? Will we just be angels? Well, first of all, there's not one scripture that ever gives any credence to the fact that we're all going to become angels. No, no, we're going to be us. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, there's a story there that you're all familiar with. Where a line of religious people on earth, preachers and singers, evangelists, TV folks who were on Christian television networks. They're going to line up as far as the eye can see, and God's got a message for all of them. God's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And immediately, do you know what the Bible says they start to do? They start to argue with God, saying, no, no, no. You can't dismiss us from heaven. Look how many people we won to Christ. Look at the size of the church we helped to build. Look at the gospel songs we wrote. Look at the people in sanctuaries across America and around the world who sung our songs as part of their works. You can't kick us out. Let me ask you something. If they lost all their faculties when they got to heaven, how could they remember what they had done on earth? No, no, we retain our faculties when we get to heaven. We'll know one another. When we get to heaven, as a matter of fact, I don't think we'll meet a stranger in heaven. I think we'll know everybody we meet. Some more proof. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. They get up there and the rich man on earth had gone to hell. And Lazarus, the poor beggar, they both died. One of them, Lazarus, went to heaven and one of them went to the rich man. And the rich man said, begging God, send Lazarus with just the tip of his finger dipped in water so he can just touch my tongue with some water. And God said to him, son, you remember when you were on earth, you had all the good things and Lazarus had all the bad things. Now the roles have been reversed. You have all the bad things. And he is comforted here in heaven. You notice something there? They all knew where they were. They all knew who they they were. The rich man in hell said, send Lazarus. Between places he knew who he was. He knew who God was. He still had, while tormented in the flames, all of his faculties. Some more scriptural evidence. In 2 Samuel The Bible tells about the illicit affair between King David and Bathsheba. Their affair produced an offspring, a son. David had a prophet that came to him and told him he was wrong in that affair. Told him he should have never done it. And as a result of that illicit affair, the baby that was born from that affair grew deathly sick. And David, the Bible says, got down on the floor, rolled around like a crazy man, wouldn't take a bath, wouldn't change clothes, wouldn't eat. He just prayed and prayed and prayed for the life of that baby. And then finally, somebody came and told David, the baby has died. And David arose and at once took a shower, changed clothes, And said, the baby can now not come to me, but I will go to him. What difference would it have made had David gone to where the baby was, which was heaven? What difference would it have made if he would not have recognized his now deceased on earth baby? So, the answer is, I believe from Scripture, and there are a lot of others I could cite, but the hour is pressing. I believe the answer is unequivocally yes, we will know one another in heaven. Yes, we will experience emotions in heaven. No, we will not miss our lives here on earth, not even for a second. The Bible says, beloved, Now we're the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be, but we shall in that day see him, and we will know him, and we will be like him. And if we're going to be like God, then we're going to be able to remember and recognize. Every head bowed, please, every eye closed. If you'd like to contact Dr. Steele, you can go to his website at jeffrsteele.com. If you'd be interested in Dr. Steele coming to speak or having the Steele's minister at your next event, there's a booking inquiry form there. You may also call the office at 256-590-2068.